Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk about sustainability in the industry, holiday predictions, and a new De Beers ad campaign. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from LA, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from NYC. We're recording this the day after Halloween. Did you go uh, trick-or-treating yesterday? I did for maybe the first time in 30 years with my almost three-year-olds, which was great fun, actually. Really, really fun. Now in LA, do you have to like drive to like everybody's house? Or <laughs> no, thankfully, no. We have a neighborhood that's very easy to walk. And we only did a couple streets because, you know, it was his first time. And luckily, he's not very scared. But there were some really scary homes that had foolish music playing and a lot of Michael Myers costumes, which I find personally quite terrifying. I saw Jason costume. Yeah, I saw some really like kind of nasty costumes you know for me that's fine but for a two-year-old almost three i can imagine that being terrifying but nico nico took it all in stride he was actually a doctor which was his request to be a doctor i was quite pleased so we made our house calls then we came back and just sat on our porch and like handed out well we bought a hundred dollars worth of candy it probably we could have easily given away two hundred dollars worth of candy but once it was all done we turned off the light and we we ran inside but otherwise it was really a fun time and lots of people came by and it felt really really nice to See the neighborhood kids. You know what I've noticed is that people are decorating their houses with these elaborate Halloween decorations, and it's kind of become like Christmas decorations that people try to outdo each other with these elaborate, uh, scary motifs. And I mean, it's really cool. I mean, I like it, but it's wild that this is now a thing that people are really getting nutty with their Halloween uh, decorations. Well, it reminds me of a dear friend of mine works for Party City, and she says that Halloween is by far their number one holiday. They start preparing for it months and months and months in advance. I think she was working on Halloween in the spring. And of course, that speaks to your point. I think people are going really crazy, and I love seeing them. And for the kids, it's so exciting. I just can't help think, and this will foreshadow a conversation we're going to have later in this show, is how unsustainable so much of that is, how you buy it and you trash it at the end of the month. I mean, I, of course, lots of people will have their skeletons that they just keep in the closet and they'll have their various Halloween decor that does last year to year. But so much of it, especially balloons and things like that, are just such a waste. I can't help but feel it's hard to not look at things through that lens these days. And even if you think the candy, we're not going to let my son eat all of it. You know, we'll probably eat a lot of it. But, you know, a lot of it doesn't get eaten. And just kind of sits there. I remember as a kid, my father used to like, your parents used to do this, they used to sniff it to see if it was poison. <laughs> we were just talking about that last night. My boyfriend grew up in Illinois and he was talking about razor blades and I was thinking, was that an urban myth? I mean, I believe I read somewhere that it's never happened. I mean, it's, it just shows you that people believe a lot of stupid things now, but they've always believed stupid things. Like, do you remember like as a kid, spider eggs and bubble yum? No, I don't actually. But that's like a big urban myth. Like, why would there be spider eggs in a bubble gum? Anyway, they bubble yum had to like take an ad out saying there was no spider eggs. I feel less troubled by it year to year, you know, and certainly I don't worry about my son's candy other than his demands at, you know, 6 a.m. for his infusion of candy. I mean, he's a, like a walking sugar bomb at this point. So I do regret that. Anyway, I mentioned 
that idea of sustainability and decorations being perhaps not entirely sustainable or many of them not entirely sustainable. And it has been on my mind partly because it's been, well, on a lot of people's minds. And this week, you'll be listening to this, and I believe that conference will still be on, is the week when leaders around the world are convening in Glasgow for the UN Climate Change Conference, otherwise known as COP26. Apparently, COP COP stands for Conference of the Parties. It has really sparked a lot of conversations and I know you just did a story about some findings that De Beers had about sustainability. So you want to tell us about those? Yeah, so it was very interesting. People always thought about these topics, but it's really become elevated now. And you see so many brands. It's hard to think of a major brand in this industry that doesn't say it's purpose-led, which is, it's a relatively new development, you know, because they've traditionally been money-led. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, the idea that they're purpose-led, I mean, you hope that it will be something positive, that it will lead to positive change. So they did this survey and they found that the sustainability of jewelry and they said a couple other categories like clothes and some other things is now like on top of the list and it's up there with design and price. So it used to be that like sustainable was kind of something extra, right? It was something that's like, okay, you, you put a nice piece and it, it happens to be sustainable as a bonus. Now it's something that people expect and people are, are seriously looking for. I think that that you're starting to see a real shift in the culture and, you know, a real shift in people's buying habits. And it's something that uh, the natural diamond business as represented by De Beers and a few others, I mean, they have a case to make for themselves, but, you know, there's still tremendous problems in the diamond supply chain. And it's something that, you know, even small problems could be big headaches if people perceive the whole industry as wasteful and unsustainable. So it's something they're really looking at and kind of gearing their marketing to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely come up a lot. I mean, I remember Stephen Lucier talking about it at Vegas, just how they've been reorienting their marketing and prioritizing this, given what they understand about consumers. And, you know, Lucier had that story, you probably remember, where he said he was reading an article in one of the English papers about how they were going to give people who had electric cars green license plates and sort of was an epiphany for him that, wow, why is it important for somebody to show that? The new kind of status, you know, it's kind of like, I'm better than you. It's not just about I'm richer than you. It's about I'm a better person than you. Yeah, are. I'm more evolved. I'm more sophisticated. I'm more conscientious. I'm more engaged with my community and my world. I guess it's good. I mean, you want people to compete to who's the better person. I mean, I could certainly see, especially when there's a, a monetary incentive, like a lot of ways it can go wrong, you know, or it can be just for marketing or for show. But you hope something positive will come out of it. You know, it's definitely a change. And I think it'll evolve and hopefully we'll develop a more consistent set of standards and ways to grade these things that we have now um, where everybody just kind of says, oh, we're purpose-led and we're sustainable and we're this and we're that. And, uh, you know, you want something to have like empirical things that, that, that people can look at. But yeah, this is the change in the culture and it, it's truly amazing. And I think you're seeing it in all the communications and you hope something good will come out of it. Yeah, I mean, it just makes me think of Caring and Richemont. Well, I guess it's Cartier delegated by Richemont and Caring, the luxury group in Paris 
teamed up with the Responsible Jewelry Council. They announced their Watch and Jewelry Initiative 2030, 2030 being this key year that you know, the UN and lots of different players have set as a target for cutting back emissions to these pretty dramatic goals and targets. So not only has this Watch and Jewelry Initiative spearheaded by Cartier and Caring taken off and hopefully will involve a lot of players around the world, they've invited every jewelry and watch company that can commit to these kinds of goals. I, I don't actually know what the goals are, what the targets are, but I think that the predictions we're hearing are so dire in terms of what's happening to our climate that our targets need to be pretty dramatic to help change things. On this note, I, you know, again, for a New York Times section that's running November 2nd, which is tomorrow, by the time people listen to this, it'll have run. I, again, tackled this topic of sustainability in the watch business and I ended up going out to 10 different people around the trade and asking them one question, how can the industry be greener? And a lot of people came back with the same responses or echoes of the same responses. A lot of it had to do with packaging and minimizing those grand presentation boxes made out of, you know, really fine exotic woods, making them smaller, creating less around the things that package our watches, certainly less plastic. A lot of them came back with comments about straps and how we need to be moving to a more plant-based materials and cut back on anything that involves animals or the way that animals are bred for these kinds of straps. And then, you know, a few comments here and there about just manufacturing greener, or recycling, using recycled materials, which a lot of the industry is doing. By far the most interesting interview I had for this conversation was with somebody not involved in the watch business at all. He is an industrial ecologist. His name is Reed Lifset. He is a research scholar at Yale and the founder of the Journal of Industrial Ecology. And as he explained it, industrial ecology is the science discipline that is charged with coming up with the empirical data that supports whether or not this initiative sort of offsets this amount of carbon versus that initiative. I mean, they're out there measuring these things. So we do have quantifiable targets and quantifiable data to judge whether our efforts are working. So he's knee deep in all kinds of things and, you know, knows a little bit about metallurgy, knows a little bit about forestry, knows a little bit about a lot of different categories. But the one takeaway he had for this and the quote he gave me for this piece on how can the watch industry be greener, and I can extrapolate that to also imply the jewelry industry is anybody who is involved in the industry or is capable and affluent enough to buy its products needs to fly less and especially avoid flying private jets or first class or business class. And that's because a plane expends about the same amount of fuel, no matter how many people are on it. And so if you displace people from seats, then you end up needing another plane. And that's what happens when you're sitting up in first class. You're just not allowing the plane to fly with quite as many people. And so I think that that's a little bit of a bitter pill for people who like their travel and certainly this industry, even though watchmakers and jewelers after 2020 know a lot more about how to conduct business virtually. I think now that people are getting back on the planes and doing travel, it's it's so exciting. It's actually hard to imagine cutting back more since we've already went through a dearth of travel. And I think about this myself too. I think about all the trips I've been invited on and, and have taken even this year in, in recent months. And I'm starting to feel bad about that. I was invited on a trip to London and they offered to fly me first class. And I'm thinking, to myself, oh dear, do I need to ask them to fly me coach? But these are the kinds of decisions I think a lot of us are going to be forced to make. I think on every level, every one of us asks, what can I do? What can I do? And I think we hope that somebody's going to come in and save the day for us. And it'll be some, you know, some sort of heroic act that somebody else has to worry about. But I don't know if that hero is coming. I think we all have to be our own heroes in this challenge and figure out ways that we can all individually make 
our own small differences and have those collectively add up. So maybe it is that I just say, no, thanks. I'm not going to fly on that trip. But it was a really interesting conversation. I did realize that for all the talk we have in our industry about ways to be more sustainable, you know, a lot of these things are really small potatoes compared to the the emissions that add up, which are, of course, these carbon emissions that come from our sort of fuel powered travel. Yeah, I was looking at, I think, the emissions of, of diamond mining, you know, and, and some of them, they definitely, there are carbon emissions there, it's, it's, it's clear, but you compare it to like oil, or even, you know, even though it's virtual Bitcoin mining, it, it takes like this absurd amount of electricity. And, you know, people don't really call it out because it's kind of like the new hot tech thing, but that's a huge carbon footprint. And, you know, people see things like that, you know, it so dwarfs us, you know, that even if we can, even if every watch company gets its carbon footprint down to zero, I mean, that's not nothing, right? But it's still, you know, it, it really is small potatoes in the in the great scheme of things. It's like when you have to clean out your computer, you're not supposed to get like five small files. They say get the big files out. But, you know, this is not one of the big files. This is not one of the big polluters in the world. I'm sure the plane travel is, is is a lot bigger factor. Like there was an airplane company that was spending a lot on carbon offsets and, and a, lot, a lot of people called them on it because, you know, a lot of these carbon offsets, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And even the good ones, you know, I think people uh, have a lot of issues with, you know, sometimes they're five years in the future, the so-called benefit. You know, th these issues are, are very, I mean, we've really gotten ourselves into a real mess and it's going to take a long time to get out of it. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews help make them possible. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District wherever you may listen. And now, back to the show. It's very sobering and very, very frightening for anyone who cares about the next generation. I mean, we might all be able to cope with a few degrees of climate change in the next 20 years, but what about 50 and 60 and 80 years from now? It's scary. It's scary. You know, in addition to sustainability, there's another conversation that is, I guess, not a tangential conversation. It is the same conversation, but it's more focused on the idea of circularity and what it means to be circular in the way you run a business and a circular economy approach. And that's also very interesting. You know, it's really concerned with these ideas of cycles and reducing and reusing and all the R's as this industrial ecologist at Yale told me. And one of the things that, and let me see if I can capture this idea correctly. It's like a lot of people in the industry, and for example, I recently interviewed a watchmaker who uses what they call the Rolls-Royce of stainless steel. It's recycled. It comes from a facility in the Swiss Jura that does uh, recycled steel, basically from medical waste and watchmaking parts where they recycle the steel. And they've created this, it's a number, it's called 4441. It is a subgrade of a steel called 316L. People who've researched steel may know this already, but you know they pride themselves on using this Rolls-Royce of recycled steel. I think for a watch lover or anybody in the business, you think, wow, that's great. What a great selling point. I'll tell my customers about that. And the industrial ecologist was like, well, why do they need that? Is that important? Because what it ends up doing is if they're using that, they're displacing or using steel that might actually be going for a better purpose somewhere else. And so if you're using these high grade versions of a product that you don't really need, you're just part of the problem because somebody else is going to have to mine more steel to eventually get the use of that steel that they do need. You know, in our industry, we're so used to touting the superlatives of our, of our materials and our products. It's part of what luxury is. And yet then you have to step back if you really do care about these things and say, well, wait a minute, maybe we don't need the best kind of steel because somebody else needs it more. 
Right. And in the end, I mean, that's what a lot of uh, the kind of hardcore environmentalists say. And I mean, it's certainly a fair point that in the end, the best solution is to buy less stuff right? To have less stuff around. But, you know, we work for a consumer product that, you know, we want people to buy more stuff, right? Because that's what we do. Well, yeah, the industrial ecologist, just to come back to him, the, his final note was, because we, we were talking about watch collectors, and I think you could apply that to jewelry collectors, you know, anybody who's buying more than two watches or, or more than one for that matter. It's like, whoa, that's excessive consumption. And is exactly what the watch industry does not want to hear. The whole point of our business is to sell more new stuff. I mean, even though they've come around to the pre-owned conversation, and that's certainly another a, a conversation the jewelry industry is having around upcycling or pre-owned goods and, and how sustainable they are on their very foundation. But yeah, it doesn't sound good to an industry that needs to show growth and needs to report back to shareholders or anybody for that matter. I, you know, this is maybe the central conundrum of modern society where it's built on consumption, which is the very thing that's gotten us into this trouble in the first place. So how we reconcile that or come to peace with it is, you know, way beyond my pay grade, but I do worry about it. I do think about it. So there is a fine line or, you know, some medium place we can all reach where there's equilibrium, I guess, with how much we consume and, but how much of it is circular? And I've been digging into what defines a circular economy or a circular business model. And, and we have, in fact, an article that will appear behind our JCK Pro Pay well, on the website in the coming weeks about how jewelers can become more circular. So there are ways that we can do this and there are ways that we can all be better. And I do believe in small actions collectively add up to a lot. You know, it's interesting. You see certain areas of the industry who really take this seriously. And then you see certain people who don't or just pay lip service to it and, you know, end up in pretty nasty scandals. I, I think that's not acceptable anymore. You know, any kind of problem in, at a diamond mine uh, affects the entire business and, and people have to really start cleaning their act up and, you know, make sure they have the support of local communities and, and make sure they treat local communities correctly because it's just it's just not acceptable anymore. Everybody's under a microscope. We have to really uh, make sure that things are on the on the up and up. Right. Very much so. And I feel like we've talked about this idea, this concept so much lately, but it's what we're hearing. I mean, we are subject to so many press releases and announcements and we get these that flood our inbox and there are just themes that continue to be hammered home every day. Every day you see a sustainable, eco-friendly, every day you see it. You know, it, they can't all be that great. I can't believe all of them are, are that sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I worry about the greenwashing. I'm a cynic about it in the sense that I see some words on a press release. We use recycled metals. We're purpose-led. And I think to myself, yeah, prove it. You know, what's that mean? So these are easy words to throw around when there's no real barometer for what they mean or what they imply. So, yeah, I feel a little, a little cynical about it. And I'm guessing that a lot of consumers feel the same. Yeah, I think after a while, it becomes one of those phrases that become so overused that people kind of tune it out. You know, it's like certain sales, like 20% off. You know, people don't necessarily take that that seriously anymore because they, they're they kind of jaded to it. And that's, 
you don't necessarily want that. You don't you don't want people to become jaded to these things, you know, because this is a serious issue. This is about our planet. And it's just easy to say these things. I mean, to really be a sustainable, eco-friendly brand, it, it should take some work, right? And it should take a lot of research. You know, it's not something you can just say, oh, hey, I bought the lab-grown diamonds at JCK show. I'm sustainable now. I mean, it's not, that's not how it works. You know, it, you have to really make sure that you research and understand what you're doing. So um, uh, that's my that's my sermon for today. No, thank you. I think it's important and it's timely. Another thing that's timely is, of course, the looming holiday, which we yes, we do hope people will buy more. Yes, I know. But contrary to our reduce, reduce, reduce conversation, buy, buy, buy. It's looking good. I mean, you know, this year has been good. And, uh, you know, I think the holiday is definitely going to be good because people still aren't traveling, which I guess is good for the global carbon footprint. And, you know, jewelry still, you know, this has really been a crazy year. I mean, I've never seen people so happy <laughs> in, in, this, in this industry and so upbeat. Not that it doesn't, you know, have issues, but I think it's looking good. Yeah, I'm just scanning our newest member to join the editorial team at JCK, our contributing editor Karen Divis wrote a story, I think it ran last week, about the NRF's predictions, the National Retail Federation's predictions for the holiday. And it sounds like retail sales will increase between 8.5 and 10.5% to $843 billion. Well, at the low end. I mean, that's huge. That is just an absolutely monster increase. Yeah. In fact, the headline sales this holiday will break all records. Whoa. It's heartening. It doesn't, I, I feel like, I don't know, is it that we are all just trying to buy our way to feeling good? What explains it other than that we're not traveling as much? Because we're traveling some, certainly more than we did last year. So, I mean, what else? What explains it? I mean, you know, it's something that I've been wondering about. I think that jewelry is just well positioned as far as, I mean, this is going to be a lot of cliches, but Zoom, Zoom earrings, you know, that people aren't spending on, on other things. I mean, you know, I'm looking at what Signet did. So Signet originally just had uh, Genodrosis on our podcast last time. It originally expected for the upcoming quarter for sales to be down about 3%. Now it expects comp sales to rise from 10 to 12%. I mean, that's a huge difference, right? That's a huge sign of confidence. You know, 10 to 12% is a nice increase. Yeah, I think people aren't necessarily spending money on clothes because they're not going out so much. So that's kind of a big competitor that's not that people aren't really focused on. And I think the industry actually has gotten a lot better at marketing itself. I think a lot of the people who run some of the big companies are very smart. I mean, you know, I think everybody kind of got lucky, but I think, you know, you know, you had people who were professional and smart enough to take advantage of an upturn when it came. You know, you said marketing, and I wonder, we're just hearing the first inklings of what some of the big campaigns will be for the holiday. What do you know about what kind of messaging the big jewelry companies are going to be delivering to consumers this holiday? What is What are they trying to underscore? It's going to be another holiday built around sentimental themes. I think it's safe to say a lot of us are spending more time at home than we did in the past and expressing gratitude for people who are there with us. I just was briefed on the upcoming De Beers holiday campaign, which is uh, very interesting. It's built around the phrase, I do. 
I thought the commercial was actually really well done and very touching. And it's the idea of you take I do, which is, you know, a wedding commitment. And they said they want to kind of enlarge the concept to talk about commitments to the earth, as we just talked about, commitments to your family, commitments to your friend, commitments to your values. It's a kind of a, a concept you have to think about, but it's certainly done very well. And it's bringing back a diamond is forever, which is the classic diamond slogan. And it's trying to promote De Beers as a brand, which, uh, I mean, it's interesting. I'm not 100% convinced it has a lot of consumer juice, but I know they certainly feel that it does. As far as creative work, I think it's excellent. It's professional. It's touching. It, it's beautiful. You know, I, I think a lot of people in this industry have like, how do you take this very traditional product I mean, like they used to say diamonds are a cultural imperative. That was the phrase they used to use because you got them when you got engaged. But now engagements are not necessarily a cultural imperative. Marriage isn't necessarily a cultural imperative. So how do you take these old fashioned concepts that the industry is based on and adapt them for a new generation? I'll, I'll be interested to see how it works, but it's a very nice commercial. Oh, that's great. When does it come out? I think it comes out today and I can show it to you after the uh, podcast. I look forward to seeing it. I'm curious to know what other jewelers are going to be doing for the holiday, if they're going to be approaching it from that same sentiment, sort of bigger idea versus product focused. I do think it's a time when you do need to appeal to people's sentiments versus just showing them pretty pictures. All right. Well, everyone have a wonderful start to your holiday season. Hopefully things yes, are pours up and you guys are ready to start selling and We'll talk to you on the next one. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK. Thank you.